I'm a podcaster and electronic musician and producer. I've been interviewing uh, independent musicians since 2018 on my Spotify podcast. And we have on the line today, Bone Cult, a UK like death electronica duo. So welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. So you guys, it's interesting because you guys have got like the stagecraft that I'm, I've always been inspired by. If anybody's ever seen the ghost, we, we kind of been doing this kind of uh, stage persona of the ghost or Josephine Electric. Um, and so you guys wear masks on stage. You've got like a light show. Um, and I've, I've seen that you've had, you know, in, influences from like a prodigy, Daft Punk, Basement Jacks. And I, I hear a little Trent Reznor in there too, but um, like maybe uh, talk about how you came to uh, become Bone Cult. Yeah, it's a good question. To fair. Um, when we started playing about, um, was it eight years ago now? Eight so years. Yeah, it was completely different to what we're doing now. It was a, um, a guitar and bass sort of, um, you know, Death From Above 1979 sort of thing, like, um, you know, a guitar which was through a bass amplifier and like really like sort of heavy drums and stuff, completely different to what we did now. So it had no electronics in it all, did it, Rich? No. So, yeah, um, it, it was almost like a different band altogether, if I'm honest. Um, I, I can't remember really how we started doing the electronic thing. I think there was just so much of that sort of two-piece stuff coming out of uh, out of the scene, like loads of those, you know, like, you know, Royal Blood. Um, well, that's well, was of, it like a Jack White vibe, like a white stripe? Yeah, exactly, 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 like the white stripes. There's so much of that that was uh, coming out. I think that sort of turned us off to doing it, so naturally we just started doing something different um, just because it got so sort of commercial in, especially in England and yeah. the UK and it, it's yeah, really turned us off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's the problem. The record didn't feel like the burn a genre or an act to death. You yeah. Know, as, soon as, you, as soon as you get Beyonce, you get a hundred Beyonce's. Yeah, exactly. You, yeah, you, yeah. You get a hundred Pearl Jams or a hundred Nirvana's. And, Absolutely, and yeah. Then you kind of blow it out. That's what happened to disco. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it might so, happen to EDM. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, there's definitely like a, a wave of you know mass singers after say Dead Mash. You know, like people like Marshmallow and yeah, you know stuff stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think we just started doing um something a bit more electronic because we just got, found it quite uh, limiting anyway. And you know, I'm sure as you know, like you can just do so much more with electronic than just a band. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, a duo, you guys are well suited for the electronic genre, but I've been like a single soul act for since 2016. And, you know, analog and modular synthesis, that's kind of where I come from, kind of like a progressive. You know, my heroes are like Keith Emerson, yeah, you, know, sure. uh, you know, Bernie Worrell, Worrell um, you know, Stevie Wonder, guys like that. And I just, I kind of come from the analog, kind of modular tradition of electronic music like not to go against djs um or or that type of thing but i'm kind of like you know a big stack of modes and modular gear is kind of how i present myself but um yeah i saw some stuff you got, on your you got... instagram yeah it's quite impressive the uh collection you got. <laughs> yeah it's just like and i came up with the stage for sonic and i do a female voice with my vt um rolling vt3s and fours vocal transformers and i found like when i first started i just didn't like my voice and so I, I kind of transformed it into Josephine and I just like the idea of being able to have like a the way you guys have a mask like if I come out not trying to be like Ziggy or Camille if I come out with this ghost kind of phantom thing then you couldn't tell 
like it, it, who that is. And that, that was my whole thing is like, if you're going to have like a female voice, it's kind of cool to come out and not look like a female. Cause that's kind of obvious. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you guys with, with your kind of death electronica, how, how did you kind of get into that? It was like a goth like thing or like kind of post-punk. Where did you get the idea to go that way? Um, I think it was just, we were quite interested in just having the look of being a, a much heavier band than we actually are. Um, so like obviously people hear the band name, they see, might see some images we were using and they're expecting a certain sound. So it was quite, uh, it's more interesting for us to kind of defy people's expectations, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of like what I did with Josephine, not to come out wearing a dress, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's come out, you know, yeah. that, that's somewhat obvious. Um, it, it's kind of cool to come out with this kind of death electronica and you're not exactly like a death metal band or something. You're not coming from, you're not trying to do that. You're doing something a little more interesting, which I think about electronic music. So you've been working on music before you were kind of like a white stripes kind of duo kind of bare bones, you know, you know, Jack white type of thing, black keys type of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then you decided, did, were you guys really fascinated by, you know, I kind of my keyboards in a modular synthesis. I would, I've been fascinated with like, you know, electronic hardware since like I was like 18. Yeah. Um, it's, um, yeah. We, we do really enjoy it. You guys get drawn, drawn into that. Yeah. We, we, we really enjoy that sort of, um, that sort of vibe and stuff. It's just, I'm sure as you know, it gets so expensive um, financially just trying to collect the actual hardware. Yeah. I know you can, you can definitely get it on software, you know, simulations and stuff like that, but it's obviously not as, it doesn't sound as good and it's not as much fun either as having um the actual hardware but it just gets so expensive financially and um you know any sort of musical equipment is going to cost the earth really um yeah i mean your guitars and you know a, a decent guitar and bass and drum exactly, sensor and yeah. kind of same, same zone for for those who like to use like hardware yeah but i mean the software synths are are, are really good because i mean the hip-hop community has always taken advantage of like you know the 808 was in the in, in the junk shop you yeah know? and you could pick it up for like 99 dollars or 50 dollars and then you're know, using like high mpc you know the hip-hop kids didn't have room for didn't have a basement didn't have a garage so you know, i i totally get you know using the soft sense but it is like you said like if you have a mode a mini mode you know if you if you got like a profit if you happen to get one these type of things they just have that kind of presence it's like having a Les Paul. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. It's like, it's well, like having a Rick Backer, you know. <laughs> well, I've forgotten so far. I've got like a TR09, right? Yeah. And um, um, what's the Volker, Volker bass by Korg? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Volker's really those cool. Things are, I think that's, we've yeah, only those, got yeah, I mean, that and we've got the FM as well. I think the bass is probably, we've used that more. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. So you got some FM synthesis. You like using FM synthesis a lot? Yeah, we've got one. I, I find... It's it's harder to get a good sound out of it for us. I think just having the um, there's something about the Volker bass. I, I'm not sure if it's just because it's more of like an analog sounding one, whereas it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's obviously a digital. But um, I don't know. We we just when you've got that and you've just run it through like um, a distortion pedal or like even just like an overdrive in an Ableton. It, I don't know. We just we do like the sound. Yeah, I think what's this, you know, I've always used my modes for my bass, kind of kind of like a mode heavy guy. But yeah, sometimes I'll use my Arturia and then run it through 
some like my spring reverb because I got like a real spring reverb in one of my modes and I use it like a pedal. Um, and it's kind of like one of the cool things you can do with this analog gear. You can take something like a, a guitar and throw it through an envelope follower. And then you get all this kind of like Pete Townsend kind of Bob O'Reilly or who are you type of, you know, type of envelope construction or loop. Like a, a, it's a, it's a synth sound, but you're actually using a guitar to run it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah, kind of a cool thing to do. I think, yeah. And guitar players. Yeah. have always kind of figured out how to use synths like Eddie and Pete probably. Yeah. Brought a lot to the synth area. I think that was one of our, Did you find... our first memories was picking up a, that Digitech synthwar pedal from a like a pawn shop here. And um yeah, you know, I think I think so many people have done that and thought they were gonna reinvent the wheel with this um guitar You know, do you know the one I mean? The green Digitech synthwar pedal. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean it's kinda like like a cheaper thing than grabbing an ARP twenty. Yeah, it's like yeah, not many people can find an ARP twenty six hundred, but if you get one. Yeah, <laughs> and you run the envelope follower, or you find a, a soft synth, and you run an envelope follower. That's like, that's his core. You know, yeah, you always yeah. find a, a face echo or something, find some old pedal. Um, yeah, I'm I'm into grabbing old pedals. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> like synth, we, synth guys, we we run pedals all the time. It's kind of our one of our trade thing. <laughs> sure. Yeah, but we, we um we picked up a synth fire and thought it was going to be like the start of, you know, the next pendulum or something with a you know electric guitars or muse you know muse of their uh, did their, like midi guitars and uh it just sounded like complete ass really and <laughs> that's i think that's yeah that's what... i think there was a Roland midi guitar back in the day before me yeah there was a guitar synth and it actually was kind of cool because it, it actually did stuff that you, you know rush used it oh, okay um, yeah and and it, it actually was pretty cool because it was running through like a Roland analog synth like an s h7 or something type of technology and that's a that's a killer scent if anybody's ever heard one but it's just like so you're having this guitar that could kick off this rolling very rare type of rolling monophonic synth, and it, it just sounds really heavy um and it depends on how you do it like if you if you run it through something i think the big thing is just being able to use kind of like the analog capabilities of a synth and to be able to trigger it with a guitar is kind of like the best way to do it but if you're trying to do other things that sometimes they don't work yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. i'd really like to see some more you know modern advances in midi guitar i think that, that could be a really cool thing um obviously oh yeah uh, i know that there are some roland you can buy a, a pickup can't you to install on a guitar but i think it'd be so much cooler if you could just buy the guitar and it had the midi capabilities yeah built inside already yeah. and and it didn't require like its own pedal. If you could just use that with any sort of uh, synth or soft synth that you wanted, I think that'd be that'd be really cool. Yeah, I guess you could use a, a key yeah. tower. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've always tried to turn my my Roland into guitars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody's ever seen me, that kind of secret sauce of running a Roland into a Moog. And then run it into a bunch of effect pedals and a bunch of other things kind of triggers what I can do. But it's because I never could really play guitar. So I said, he's like, I can play the board. So I'll just try to figure out how to, you know, the whole thing about a synthesizer is where we can fake other instruments or we can try to be like other instruments. That was my whole point of becoming a synth player was like, if I need some strings or I need horns, and I came from being a horn player. So I would bring a lot of horn aesthetics into my music because I knew how to do it. Um, 
And I think that's one of the things about having a synth. Do you like the fact that you can like emulate all these other instruments that maybe you don't have money to get or, or have the have you know the ability to play and then you've got that kind of framework? Yeah, I think that's that's definitely cool. And you can you can take one sound, like you were just in a synth, you just picked a preset for I don't know, like a, a violin, but you can put it through a guitar amp and then you know, you can put it on chorus and before you know it, you don't even, it doesn't even sound like that violin. It could be, you know, sound yeah. like something like a massive church organ. I think that's quite cool when you don't even know what you're listening to anymore. It just, just has so many effects on it. Yeah, it's like sampling. Like, I like samples that aren't obvious, not like Ice Ice Baby, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like to take a sample and make it so unrecognizable that it won't get a copyright thing on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you got to really... And then I can actually... Yeah, then I just turn it into like like a like a field recording. I grab it, you know, to, you know, do some granular synthesis on it, and then it becomes like mine. Yeah, and and it's just a new way of getting a tone. You know, um, that's the way I like to do samples. Though I know a lot, some people just like to do it to get the groove. I'm kind of like I, I do all my grooves like from my analog drum machines and stuff. But uh, I was look, listening to like your latest, well, the latest single I could find. Uh, it was like a little feed on you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Could you give me a little bit of a of a of like a backstory on how that song came about? We'll talk about a couple of your songs. I want to start with that one. I think um, that was really different um, to how it actually ended up being. I think um, the way it eventually sort of came into being, um, that sort of weird time signature was uh, there's a plugin called the Rhythmizer, which I know a lot of rap um, producers use. Uh, and mm-hmm. as, as like an alternative to growth speed to you know half time stuff and speed it up I think they just use it mostly just to get the half time you know on the piano and stuff like that but uh, it's got some really cool sort of rhythmizer like different syncopations and um, time signatures and I think I accidentally put it on like a, an output a, a bus of like a load of other instruments and it gave it this sort of choppy feel and um, yeah it just sounded good you know to us so we, so yeah, we just kept yeah but it was Kind of like a lot of things in the studio, just um, m- messing around until something cool came out of a mistake, really. Do you find happy accidents trigger stuff more than trying to like really plan something? I'd out? say in um, electronic music, definitely. Like, uh, I mean, you can't really um, make that many mistakes when you're playing guitar and drums, you know, other than like the odd harmonic and stuff. But when you're doing electronic stuff and you've got just too many options, I suppose, um, it, you know, you're naturally going to end up just making a technical error just because of how much much is going on really you know um and yeah yeah i I suppose yeah it normally is like that really yeah if something sounds cool and you end up just going with it or sampling it bouncing it to audio and sampling your own thing that's what so that kind of gets to my question about your song craft do you guys kind of come up with demos and show each other demos or you know work it all in your home studios and then go to a like a full recording studio and work it out with a producer or do you guys you know what's your style is it kind of like anything that fits the song or you have like a certain way you record um we mostly write in the same room there are times when we'll work separately just coming up with our own ideas but i'd say 90 percent of the time we're always just working together in the home studio and that's when we kind of feed off each other and like bounce off each other because sometimes if you've if you're just working on your own things too far in a direction that 
uh, the other guy in the band's not going to be feeling. So I think it's both. You both need to be able to contribute. Um, yeah, yeah. that's kind of old school. Yeah, that's like like the way I used to. You know, I'm in my fifties, right? So when I was in my bands before I was just a ghost, it was always like in the garage, in the basement, and you know, I might have a demo, like of a chord progression or something. And I, you know, I, the drummer, I might have some basic 808 beat, and it's like no way I'm gonna really use it. But I give it to the drummer, and he like really turn it into something because I figure like a percussionist is gonna do way better than what I can do. Um, and so, and I might have a bass line worked out, but I'd like the bass player, you know, he take that and kind of let everybody do what they know to do, how to do, and just take it as an impression and then come up with it. And I always love that, you know, and post, you know, in the middle of COVID, I haven't been able to really do that other than like online collabs, which is totally different. Um, but yeah, that feel, I, I miss doing that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, um, I think collaboration just, I know it just improves your, your whole way of working. I think because obviously we started out as a band, we record or just write our songs together in a band room and it was all live. And I think we've kind of, we know that that is a good approach and we kind of just apply that to the way we produce as well. Just so like we're just w working, writing together and you kind of just, just feed each other's off, off each other's ideas. So when you guys write, um, what type of workflow do you use? What type of DAW? You're like Ableton or Pro Tools or yeah. Um, now now it's um, almost exclusively Ableton. Really, we used to be solid advocates for Logic, um, mm -hmm. but I, I think that was largely just because it had a. I, I don't know if you've used um, Logic, but it's got the the drummer track, mm -hmm. and um, that was <laughs> obviously because uh, we we stuck. Neither of us is. Well, I, thought, I was never really that much of a drummer anyway, so it just came out of necessity of actually having the drummer track, which was great to, uh, you know, to fill that role that we didn't have in the band. But um, after a while, I think you get sick of the same old loops and stuff. Yeah. And um, Ableton just um, just so much easier for electronic producers. I know so many people use it, like Skrillex and stuff, just to get ideas out quickly. And I, I always thought of it not really as a solid, you know, DAW, just because... I thought it was only good for getting ideas down in composition. And I thought, oh, there's no way you have the quality to record stuff. But I've completely done a, a U-turn on that. I think it's just so easy. And, um, you know, when you see other people using, um, like, Fruity Loops and stuff to make beats, you think, well, if, you know, if people are making money off Fruity Loop music, then yeah, yeah. that goes to show you can make money off you know, just about anything, to be honest. You know, Fruity Loops is, or Reason, stuff like that, you know. So, you know. Now, yeah. now I've got no. I, I, maybe just because we were too like snobbish about it, you know. And we thought, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I kind of get I get there myself, you know, because a lot of what I do, you know, I have all my Roland stuff, so it's got all their like the the whole history of all the Roland drum machines are like embedded in a lot of my hardware, so yeah. I can like get to every like seven twenty seven, seven oh seven, nine oh nine, whatever. I can get to any of them. But then lately, I've been using like a teenage engineering OPZ. Um, which is really interesting because it really different type of sequencer than like a 707 or an 808. The way you can do it has all these like uh, step components. You can basically layer components on every step up to like maybe 16 components coming off of every step. So it, it lets you do something that an 808 doesn't do. You know, you could maybe get to the same thing, but it, this is very specific. And so they, they, the pocket operator ones, is that what you're talking about? No, they actually have a synth called the OPZ. It's the size of a TV remote, like the, oh, the cool. new version of an OP1. But it, what it is is it's a sequencer 
and it's like the OP one, but it's got really heavy sequencer in it. And so, and it can run samples and you can like use the mic to create samples or you can bring stuff in and you can just create these really interesting drum beats. And then I sample them into a, like a morphogene uh, sample or my Eurorack. And then I kind of clip them up, but I like to do a lot of hardware based stuff. Cause I'm kind of like an old school progressive guy. Like, like I was watching a documentary about Peter Gabriel one time for the so record, he took, a bunch of drum takes, like 99 drum takes, and then re-spliced them on physical tape and just bounced them all around. And I'm kind of a big proponent of that type of construction, just kind of forcing you to do stuff that's not going to sound like anybody else. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but um, that and my DFAM, which, you know, from Moog, my Moog drum, analog drum machine, it kind of gives me a lot of, uh, like, my own feel. But, yeah, I mean, Ableton can give you the same kind of capability to do that. But like uh, I've I've been a big proponent of like Dallas recording because I kind of started on a Tascam four tracker back in the '90s, and I've been like a big proponent of trying to do things in maybe the harder way, just because it gets you limitations. I find trigger things in music that like if you can't do something on the grid, you can't easily just move something. Then you maybe have to work it on in a different way. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Like sometimes there's almost like they made it too easy and there's too much choice. I feel like yeah. sometimes you need some kind of, yeah, limitations, but also just something to give you more of a focus as well, because you can just get so easily overwhelmed just by the different possibilities. Like if, if you've got like one synthesizer that you're using, you, you're going to try and get the most out of that rather than scrolling yeah. through, you know, like 200 pages of different presets, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like if I take my Moog like grandmother and I play with the CV, I kind of got a point in time for that recording session. And it's not going to sound like anything else I did because I always take all my CV chords out and then restart every time. And so every time I create it's like a whole new timbre, you know, and, and then that kind of forces me to deal with what I kind of was like a big proponent. Like I read all the history on Moog and the guy, Robert Moog, he said he kind of felt like the universe told him how to build the Moog. Uh, and he kind of felt like it's a living thing. And and I kind of listen to what my synth tells me. And like every day I turn it on, it acts different. You know, if you warm it up or don't warm it up. And you kind of go with where it's going to go that day. And don't try to make it into anything else. Be what it is. And then I find that style of recording kind of forces me. When it forced me, it gets me in a, in a different direction there if I was trying to go do something else. But yeah, that's it my style <laughs> but i was wondering like in terms of your style of, of recording do you like have your reference points from the people you love and they just kind of unconsciously come into to you when you're writing a song or do you kind of say well i want to do this that's like this you know or you just let it kind of flow <clears throat> that's a good question um what how would you, what would you say rich sometimes it's definitely like there's things we've been listening to and sometimes we actually start a song just by using a sample of something that we like the sound of and just get it into Ableton and we're just working with it. And that can kind of uh, start spurring just our own sounds. When we start building, you know, layers to go with it. And before you know it, you've not even got that original song anymore, but you've kind of created a song around it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes if you're not, um, you know, in the mood to get into the studio, at least you'll be in the mood to listen to like your favorite song at the moment. And, um, you know, even just try sampling this, a song that you're, you know, 
excited about it's a good way to at least get you in the studio and um you know get you active and pro proactive you know what i mean because it's so hard to um apply yourself especially in lockdown you know it's like it's oh, yeah. hard to even like get up and you know go for a run or get out of bed or something you know sometimes so the idea of actually going to the studio and you know trying to make something sometimes can be really daunting you know in lockdown so at least sampling something that you know someone else has made and you're excited about it get, gets you in the studio you know and gets the gets the ball rolling yeah i think my favorite thing to kind of get me going is i always put on joy division disorder yeah yeah and and and, and that song just triggers me in a certain way it's like wow this because that's like to me it's like the whole feel of new romantic new wave kind of pro, you know it's like the beginning you know, before they became New Order, before Depeche Mode, before The Cure, you have this song. It's got, you know, it's got this synth line in it that's kind of buried. It's got this punk aesthetic, and it's like all the things I like about that. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's got this driving thing, and it's like, wow. And it, that always inspires me to kind of get into it. It's like if I listen to The Clash, like, yeah, European, you know, my, my european safe home right, yeah. <laughs> safe european home <laughs> anytime i hear a certain song that kind of trigger me like if i'm not inspired it's like okay get back in that punk aesthetic get that kurt cobain kind of vibe and then like that always kind of drives if i feel that you guys have a look had that kind of punk aesthetic is, is is punk music part of what you're inspired by it's it's more of we like the approach of punk and we like the the spirit of it i don't think we listen to much punk music but um, we definitely like the sort of the approach of, of punk musicians. Yeah. Like, you know, we really like the DIY element to it. And I think like we, we try and be as self-reliant as we can. And like, we live, you know, the times we live in now allow you to do that. Right. Yeah. That was the whole thing about punk is like, you don't have to be Jimmy Page. You don't have to be like Hendrix. Yeah, exactly. You could have like an honest feeling and come at it. And, you know, in everything that's do, do it yourself, it's like there's something we're very sophisticated. You can create like your own opera, you know, you could create very sophisticated pop music um, without, you know, because of the technology now. Again, if everybody's at their Ableton, you can go the Phil Spector route and go crazy layering um, and really tight compositional structure. Or you can go for like a loose, like replacements, you know, or the Who's Do's of the world, you yeah. know, or Black Flag, SST, that type of thing. But yeah, I mean, I, that I think that that punk aesthetic. What I liked about it is the honesty. You know, the reason why Kurt Cobain, I think he really hit hard, was the fact that it was like this honest feeling, compared to like if you were listening to Rat and Motley Crue and all that stuff. That was kind of like uh, doesn't feel that honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when, when Kurt came on the scene, it's like wow. And then suddenly, like grunge came about because you get you get the you know. You get the Pearl Gems of the world. You get the Stone Temple Pilots. You get, you know, all these bands. You know, Alice in Chains. You get this feel that felt like okay, this is something more real again. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's something that's really lacking in uh, modern music as well. Is that sort of real element, in my opinion? You know, just even if you look at the, well, even at the American versus and the UK charts, they're not even dissimilar, really. And it, yeah. it really is just. Um, I can't see a single like guitar band or anything on the, um, you know, on the top of the charts. So, yeah, it's interesting because we're kind of in this kind of phase where, like, to me, it felt like the '50s where everything's like a single. Yeah. Like in the '50s, before like Beatles, 
you everything's a single. Like the Spotify playlist has forced everybody to do two minute, three minute singles, yeah. and they're kind of like, kind of like you know, like you know, I don't know. It seems kind of not, some of them are kind of just be oriented without without maybe having the heavy thought they went to like a Pink Floyd record, right? Or 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 the something that went into like like you know any of the singer songwriters from the seventies. It doesn't seem like it's substantial. It seems like okay, everybody's trying to do a formula. Um, and it's cool. That's why I talk to indie bands like yourself, because I like to see people come in. Because we don't even hear stuff like the Prodigy, you know, or Daft Punk or Basement Jacks as much nah. anymore. Uh, we've got more hip hop oriented stuff that's more kind of club oriented, mm-hmm. and EDM type of stuff that doesn't necessarily kind of get to their heartstrings. And that's kind of like what I like about music is whether it's powerful or it's like some kind of heart song. But it's more heart, man, I mean, is like the heart of like, I know you're into it and you don't really care if you make money because you believe in what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's <laughs> it. I mean, even those bands you mentioned, like Daft Punk and Apology, like they've, we listen to their albums, and even though they do have singles and obviously they have some big, they've had some like really successful commercial songs, but I feel like they're more about creating good albums. Like Daft Punk have only released, yeah, how many, four studio albums in about 20 years or something. I think that's a testament to their sort of, album making craft you know what i mean they, they don't just come out with a single every yeah six months doesn't they? yeah i i miss the album i mean that's what i try to do with my music everything's like oriented toward, toward an album but this market really i have a niche market for that because really everybody wants the two minute song you know or the one minute yeah. 30 second song yeah um, <laughs> and uh <laughs> But you guys seem album oriented too. I mean, at least from your your death electronic. Yeah, album. um, absolutely. Like, because we've only released one full album, but we definitely like albums more than we like singles or EPs. It's just a question of um, we didn't feel like it was the right time to do an album before then. Like, we because I think when you're a new band, especially in today's world, it's quite hard to give to get people to give you the attention of a, a full album. I think people there's so much content out there right now you need to grab people quickly and i think that's where singles come in but um we're definitely going to be doing more albums in the future well i think a band always wants to have an album because they want a set list that you know they can kind of run through that has a theme and the album or ep kind of gives you that way to put songs that kind of work for a show together and that was like the traditional way bands used yeah, to work point. yeah and now everything is kind of more geared toward playlists which is not necessarily what you do when you do a show because you're like one of 40 people or 30 people on yeah. a playlist <laughs> if you're going to do a show you got to have a set of songs that's going to keep everybody in the same vibe and that's where the ep album kind of still fits um at least for the for the artists to kind of build that um and I know a lot of artists actually have albums that they just release as singles. And then if they, if they're doing well, then they'll put the EP out. So they still construct their work in kind of an album format. This maybe it's not released all at once. Yeah. It's a good way of doing it. Like it's kind of drip feeding out to people because I think people can easily listen to an album, which has taken, you know, a whole year to produce. And then it's kind of lost because there's another album coming out the next day you know, those albums thousands of albums are released every day now yeah and there's just so much to consume whereas yeah you can choose to release things slower just like single by single i think that's 
and it, it's an interesting new approach. Um, I think with, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I end up doing that. I think as an artist, I think we all end up trying to get playlisted, trying to deal with the way the market is now. I mean, we've got a little bit wider opportunity with the band camps and the sound clouds of the world where you can throw things out. You can do mixtapes. You can do YouTube stuff. You can go on Twitch. You can do all kinds of stuff. But but yeah, I mean, the, the actual place where everybody hears us, like an Apple Music, Spotify title type of place, we've got to kind of deal with the way it is um, and hope for it to change. <laughs> but uh, uh, I was listening to uh, Death Electronica, and I, I like Cruel a lot. And I also like fragments. Um, so maybe talk about cruel. Yeah, that was more of a band sort of sound, wasn't it? That we went for. Yeah, um, that was just sat down with a guitar, I think. Yeah, like, yeah, and just riffed it out. So yeah, I, I still really like doing that. Um, I've got um, one of those Squire baritone guitars here, which is um, it was, it was only about three hundred pounds when it came out, but they've been discontinued now, and they sell for about nine hundred online, so it's tripled in price. And mm-hmm. so obviously, especially in COVID, it's really um, attractive to actually sell it and you know triple the money on it but, um, I just I just can't <laughs> let it go at the minute just because um you know we still do like uh you know yeah just Life like goes. you know using it for riffs and stuff and it's just such a good riff machine and you know sometimes there is too much of um just playing synths in my opinion and it is good to just uh get back to playing like an acoustic you know an instrument or electric in this case but you know what I mean like uh and I, I yeah, 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 like you know, real, a real yeah. bass, and even if you don't even use it, it's just nice to have a break in the studio from, um, you know, just digital stuff sometimes, and let that sort of visceral energy out, and you know, play a. I sound it sounds really snobbish, but like a real instrument, you know, whatever that means. Yeah, well, I get it. I mean, I used to hear Prince used to talk about that all the time. It's like he he had this statement that was like real music by real musicians, and yeah, he used sure. to get mad at him, and like, but, but it was like. I mean, the guy plays seventeen instruments. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 and he he would self-produce yeah. his album since he was like seventeen. So, I mean, there is something to be said about people who can actually play. Yeah. Uh, and there's a difference between like a producer and a and a and a, like a session musician or like a produce you know a producer and a jazz musician or a rock type of configuration. It's a totally different feel. And I can I will I will say you know producers are artists. But like, if I go see a band, I mean, I used to go see the Almonds. I used to go see Funkadelic, and I kind of like prefer to see like a band like a Funkadelic jamming on like a, a P Funk song for like twenty minutes. That's just like what I like. Yeah, <laughs> to see at a show. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, that, that's just me. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I can't remember the last. Obviously, not been any gigs, but we um, I think the last gig that we went to was uh, Dastonbury in twenty nineteen. And you know you can't get much more of an eclectic, uh, you know, festival. Yeah, it's everybody. You get yeah, you got DJs, you got yeah. full bands. I like that kind of variety. I like to go to clubs in New York that actually will have a punk band, have a DJ, have an EDM band, have like a folk musician, and they don't, and they basically are letting everybody play yeah. everything. And so because like everybody's taste on the playlist, they're kind of all over the place, and so. I think it's cool to not be in just a narrow focused gig, you know, it's kind of good to get your, it's supposed to. Everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Glastonbury is like a great example of, um, you know, really refreshes your ideas of what you can do. And 
the sheer production value that they have, you know, really, uh, you know, inspires you to want to appear game and stuff like with the stages and, you know, it's impossible to really come away from Glastonbury and not be inspired, you know. How about your light show? Is that something that you work with other artists that are into like that type of performance or is that something you guys do yourself? That's just something we've done for ourselves. I think it's because we've been to so many like small venues where they don't have any lights at all or they've got like one park hand in the corner which comes on and off intermittently <laughs> or it's like sound to music mode where it's just going every color you can think of so i thought we should yeah, just yeah. bring our own that then yeah. we know that it's gonna look the way we want it to look no matter yeah. where we are um, especially now mm -hmm. um, we use um dmxis by entech which is it integrates with ableton so we can program our live light show as, as we're performing and um so it's all integrated we don't need a lighting guy to come with us or we don't need to um you know rely on anyone's help yeah it only came out That's of necessity awesome. really just because you know it really was just you know almost pressing going to these small sort of club gigs and bars and stuff and just the, the terrible house lighting that would be there you know like um like Rich just said, you know, just, just you know, they set it on like random mode and it's just sort of scrolling through the spectrum of colours mm. and there's no, um, you know, automation or, you know, it's not choreographed or anything. It's, it just looked terrible, really. So we just thought we have, you know, I don't want to do this and bring our own light show, but we just have to, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do that with the ghost. I do a lot of my own visual stuff. Well, I'll pretty much make a video for every song. And if I go show up at a place that has a digital screen, then I'll kind of run them in the back of the, the videos I actually created. Because it, it gives me a, like a way to just present my, my, my vibe, you know. And I've always been a big fan of like what Warhol did with the Velvets. Uh, I don't know if you heard the Velvet Underground kind of started because he had this art kind of collaboration with the Velvets. And when they went on stage, they had these films running behind them. Um, and they had like actors and dancers and all this kind of there's a happening type of thing. And I've always been into that the stuff that Pink Floyd did. Uh, just the kind of visual aspects that like psychedelic rock bands and stuff, but you know, have that kind of vibe where something visual is happening because part of the show. Yeah. You know, part of I think I always appreciate when I see a band who's actually doing some thought to how <laughs> they they look on stage and how you know they can use lights and they can use visuals you know it just makes for a more immersive you know experience rather than just showing up playing your song and then that's it you know yeah it's kind of like what bowie took brought theater you know when he created ziggy and he created aladdin thing and then why do he kept on creating all these characters for every new tour or album and i always appreciated that kind of look even freddie mercury he had a look for every like period and the idea that you you become this other kind of character. I mean, Lady Gaga does it. You know, Prince used to do it. Every album he had a different vibe. You know, and every every stage show had a different look. The Sign of the Times stage was totally different than the 1999 stage. Uh, you know, every album had a different look, a different character. He was Prince, but he was a different version of Prince. Um, kind of like Bowie. You know, and and I I always thought. That it was kind of cool to do that and not just come out in your blue jeans, you know, and turn your back to the audience and play like a, <laughs> like, yes, sir, Jackson. Even though I love those bands, it's like, I think they kind of 
they lost a little opportunity when they didn't go the way. Well, Peter Gabriel kind of, you know, I like what he was doing, and I guess the rest of the band of it didn't yeah. like it. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Like, we've always had this thing about fans who show up in just the jeans and T-shirts that they would normally wear to the pub, and it just, you know, it's just why wouldn't you yeah. want to yeah. make more of an effort? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, mean, like, my folk musicians, I can see it's part of their thing because they want to be on authentic. But I think if you're into rock and and into progressive music or you know even jazz, I mean my favorite jazz group of all time was Sun Ra, and in the '50s Sun Ra dressed like Funkadelic. I think actually Parliament Funkadelic actually stole their idea, <laughs> but Sun Ra it kind of failed for them because everybody was dressed up like you know Coltrane Davis, and Sun Ra would show up dressed up like uh, in like you know aluminum foil capes and hats and looking like they were coming from Mars or something. But, you know, later, everybody looked at that and said, wow, that, that is cool. But, you know, at the time when you push it, sometimes it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. It's, we always appreciate it more. I think it's just it's just very much more memorable. And, yeah, yeah, it just becomes part of the performance. And that's why we have the maps as well, just because so, uh, um, it's just more interesting than just you present your your normal... Uh, personality when, when people come and see you at show they're not just seeing you they're seeing an entity which I thought was... yeah what I like about when I was a ghost and I used to play in New York I come on stage with my phantom mask and I get off stage and nobody really knew what I looked like so I could just jump into the crowd and watch the other bands and nobody knew it was me Yeah, you know and I, I kind of like that fact that I could kind of nobody really knows who who i was you know at least back then i used to have my mask on all the time like like yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you never saw who i really was um now lately i've been like not wearing it sometimes just to do something different but um <laughs> so let me get into another song like if you want to talk about like one of your favorite tracks from death electronica like go ahead let me let, let me because I, I have my own picks but what would you want to talk to your fans about on one of the tracks on the record um i think which one probably like pick? the last track mansion which um it's one that i like pro- probably even the most just because it's more of a sort of an experimental one where we didn't even try and follow a structure that we would normally use for when we're writing songs it's just it was just really like sort of an improvised feel to it and actually that one song transformed mm-hmm. a lot from it started as just a sort of a guitar riff it's kind of like a mathy sort of an arpeggio and um i think it's sam completely transformed it by making sort of a pulsating reverb effect on it and that kind of just turned the song from just being like a straightforward lo-fi guitar into something more ethereal yeah i like that experimentation well i'm um... You know, I've always been a big fan of, of, of people who do that type of work. You know, it's, a, it's just a lot of the bands I listen to. Uh, I, I, I kind of like glitchy, kind of not, you know, as tight c- construction. Because I always felt like I love Keith Richards because it's kind of like that kind of off time feel he brings into the blues. And then I like Neil Young and Crazy Horse like on tonight's the night because it's like it's kind of like falling apart but it's still together and i've always been like a big big fan of like people doing experimentation in music and not just trying 
to construct what they think is like the pop sensibility, but more the the art sensibility of it, uh, and how that kind of conveys more honesty, I guess. And I think that's one of the reasons I did like Mansion is because it wasn't one that we knew that it wasn't going to be one we were going to pitch to playlists or try and send out to radio or anything like that. It was just more the sound we just wanted to create just because that's what we wanted to hear at the time. I think that's why the album is such a great format because then you have the space to put in experiments, you know, to put songs that maybe aren't going to be the songs that are going to be the radio hit but it gives you a, a, a full picture. Like an album to me is like reading the great American novel or the great novel um, is because it gives you like a full picture of a band. That's why I love vinyl. You know, I grew up with vinyl and um, you were kind of like, you picked up a record, you didn't just jump around. You kind of brought it into your basement and you, you know, turn the lights down and you're like, I'm going to listen to this whole thing. Uh, and, I think that's why I think I, I am heartened by the fact that some fans of music are back into vinyl and I've actually gone and done some experiments with putting out stuff in vinyl and I've had a good response because the fans actually, it's the kind of fan, not that you want to choose your fan, but the fan who buys that tends to get what my band's yeah. about <laughs> because they, they listen to the whole project and they're more likely to come to the show and actually say they want one of the songs, you know? it's on the record yeah i think that's something <laughs> like, that gets lost with streaming because when you've you've actually bought an album you can you can hold it uh you, i think you value it more and i think now like it just becomes like no one has a music collection anymore which i think is just a weird thing like um the new generation don't go and buy their music album by album like people used to so you know if you stop subscribing to spotify you've, you've not got a music collection anymore which is a weird thing to think about yeah it's gone. Yeah, you have vaporware. Yeah, where you had the CD. But I am heartened, you know, at least in the US, we've got a pretty big vinyl market. And it helps, like, when you go to Boston or New York and you, you've got, like, 100 copies of your record on vinyl and you can sell them all at the show, you know, and you actually do better than you do on your on your streaming yeah. for that day, <laughs> you know. you you. Uh, and it's, it's like, and it's like, it, it, I think the physical connection of being able to have your art concept, maybe, maybe your lyrics, like a poster, then person like starts to value your music. And it's, I think it's more willing to pay for it than, than even a CD, because then they have something that feels more yeah. like real. I agree. I think, um, I think people are more likely to buy a, a vinyl if it's an album that they already know that they do like. I don't think many people would buy an album just on a whim these days but um no it's more like it's i use it as a kind of thing when i'm when i'm physically playing a gig i'm more likely to be able to sell it than if it's on a web store and nobody heard it so it's kind of like for the like hardcore peg fans that show up at a gig and I'm, I'm able to play more than one song. It's like a peg show. I, I, I can actually, that works. It's like a micro level sales thing that you do. But it, it's a cool thing to, to get into, you know, because there are companies now that actually allow you to do very small batches. So it's not crazy money that you got to put into it. But um, yeah, I just think it's a, a good way to connect. I mean, there are people doing thumb drives, people doing cassettes. 
These are even this Russian company doing like real to real albums. They're actually on real. I can't believe that. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's called Orbital Recording. And, and they actually That's put crazy. things on reels. I mean, and you get a box with a reel of like. I mean, you can't even like buy a new reel to reel player, surely. I think there are some companies selling them. And for a reason, some reason, Orbital was starting to do okay because of that. They would have a niche market, but um, just like the cassettes. I mean, how many people have the cassette players if people are selling the cassettes again? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just a physical, I think, connection to your fans is a cool thing to have in some way. Yeah, that's true. Besides a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what are you guys working on for 2021? Are you working on like the single strategy or toward like yeah, I think we're, um, we're work, we've been working on material almost daily to be honest, but we're just um, working on like a bit of like a rebrand and coming back with the, like a fresh sound and a, well, a fresh look really more than a fresh sound. Um, yeah, just rebranding everything to be honest. Um, oh, you're kind of changing. Uh, I suppose so. Yeah, like um, we wanted to have like new masks and. Yeah, just a new feel, really. I think everything that we've had is at least a few years old now. Um, and it'd be nice just to come back with sort of a, a revamp. I think, you know, um, I think we could, you know, when you listen back to our songs from sort of like three or four years ago, I think our production's a lot, lot better now. And uh, it would just be nice to reflect that, really. We've had enough time off now, a good sort of six to eight months since like the album drops and we stopped like pushing that, really. So it'd be nice to come back with something fresh, really, rather than just, you know, another album of, the same look and the same sound. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had original Phantom version zero. I had a different mask. And then I I had version 1.1 have the mask I have now. Um, And I'm actually working on version 1.3 where I found this really cool mask that I can actually change the LEDs on it to be like anything. Um, So we can actually do lyrics, we can do pictures, we can do all this stuff. So and then they could do other faces. Um, so then I can actually have Josephine's face on it, and then not have her face on it, and have words on it, have pictures on it. I've been working on a cape that does the same thing too. But yeah, there's all yeah. Every time I think you got to kind of re, it's all set up when when things open again that I can have like a different stage show. But yeah, I think every band, like I said, Bowie is a big a big favorite, and I like to like Aladdin, Sane, Thin White Duke. You know, Ziggy, he always changed it, you know. And I think that's kind of like once you get into this kind of stagecraft thing, I think it kind of becomes the evolution that you're going to do that. That's just because, like, if you're already in that mindset, you're probably going yeah, to do definitely. It. Um, I think we're, we're just looking forward to coming back and with like a new upgraded version of the band, really. Like, it's yeah, it's like you said, it's something new to attach to a new album, and people will be able to see that oh, it's a new mask, it's a new album, it's a new. You know, it's a new take on it. Yeah. It's kind of like you give yourself a new era. You know, like you think about Prince, you had the, you had the Purple Rain era. Everybody yeah. knows what that looks like, right? You have the 1999 era. Everybody knows what, you know, the Sign of Times era, like the most, you know, readily apparent, um, that they very, they're very significantly different. Um, it's like Bowie's been White Duke and Ziggy and, and even Freddie Mercury, you know, his, his, period of doing Bohemian and Rhapsody versus his kind of, you know, we are the champions look is a totally different look. Uh, and and he, he did that, you know, and these artists tend to do that 
when they realize how important it is to have that stage presence. And like you're saying, like you're going out there without the blue jeans on, actually trying to convey a feel or a theme to what you're doing, which makes it like a, an event. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's just like a landmark. It's kind of like putting your, you... it's like a new flag out to, to show your, what your band is and the direction you're taking. Now, you guys, because of COVID, I know a lot of bands do collabs or they do production work with other folks. Are you guys doing that? Like, where you're working with other people, you're totally uh, We've been asked to remix a few of our, um, like, friends stuff before. Um, like, a friend of ours called um, Baby Tap. We've remixed his over lockdown. And um, a friend of ours, he worked on the latest uh, Cyberpunk 2077 game. Um, he, he works for... Um, like video game music and stuff. He asked us to remix this other uh, game called Hotshot Racing, which we were happy to remix a track for that. Um, that was in the last little month, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, we've remixed a few people. It's very rare. I don't think we've actually ever collaborated from scratch with anyone on anything. Like, you know, sat down in a room and actually collaborated. But we've <laughs> remixed plenty of times for people. Hmm. But, That's cool. Have you thought about maybe you do that? Or you want to focus on bone cold. I mean, a lot of bands, it's a hit the light of energy just to yeah, keep your yeah. own thing going. Um, so they don't have the time to kind of put it into other things that other people kind of like workaholics and it's like, okay, I'll keep on working it even if I don't. And just, yeah, just I don't know how people have the energy to do side <laughs> projects and stuff like that because it's so much energy just doing one project, really. Um, so I'd, I'd never understand how people yeah. can split themselves over, say, three bands. And fully commit. Um, I think some people just like to be so caught up with work that they they feel like they don't. Yeah. you know they have so much to yeah. do. That's not a bad thing either. You going. know, keeping yourself busy. Um, but um, I don't know how you can really fully invest yourself. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like then you start wondering, like, are you putting like one hundred and twenty percent into your own brand? Or you're kind of phoning yeah. it in. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it does take a lot to kind of cultivate like your best work. And, you know, but it's interesting the thing about like recording. I always ask bands like, okay, are you the kind of band that you feel like you've got your song down by like the third take or you're a band that does like, like 10, 20, 30 takes to get it? Like, what do you feel about that type of effort in the studio do you, do you think after a while you get the yeah you can definitely overwork the song in fact i don't think we've ever released a song where we were 100 percent happy with it anyway i feel like it's, it's so hard to know when you're finished when you're mixing yourself and you're producing yourself and you've kind of got all the control i think it would be different if we were just recording and we were sending off to a um, different mix engineer or a different producer to work with but i feel like when you're doing everything it's so hard to let go and sign off on a project. Absolutely, yeah. So we'll just, we do loads of takes. We do rewrite entire songs, add layers and layers until sometimes you start to question whether you even like the song anymore. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I kind of went down that road where I was in this Phil Spector thing, kind of like, 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 like you think about like Bruce Springsteen and you know, he he spent like six months putting together his big track and it just never was finished. But then I kind of started thinking about this kind of different kind of punk aesthetic or even like a jazz thing. 
I'll put down like three, four takes. And then I like, I kind of go to the earlier takes just because the further I get away from the first take, the more diluted what I, my original intention was. And then I find like, if I really want my original intention to come out, I kind of like, will leave that happy accident. Maybe, maybe it's imperfect, but I've always been the kind of glitch kind of thing. Like I say, you know, I like, you know, tonight's the night. I like, I like stuff that's kind of falling apart. So I kind of purposely do it because that's kind of like, yeah, my, I, know what my you mean. I think we have the same thing. Like when we so, record a part and if we quantize it too close to the grid or if we've, you know, um, fine tune something too much, I think we, you know, you can lose something from that, like the original performance of it. And um, like we, we try and avoid as much as we can. Yeah. Even like, a Yeah. Do you even find that with vocals? I was talking to some some like female artists that are like primarily vocalists, and they they I actually was interesting. I was talking to one that actually put down her vocals on like a four tracker, and then went into a studio, and spent a bunch of time trying to get it perfect, and then the producer ended up going with the four track demo version of the vocal, and it was just because it was like more honest and more close to the original feel of the song. And I thought that was kind of interesting because it's kind of like the way I would approach it. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's just interesting. Like, you, like that kind of thing can happen where like you maybe you think it's like, well, I got to spend all this money. I get to do all this. I got to spend all this effort. And then sometimes it's like the, it's like the simple version of it. Like the one I did on my phone, actually all glitchy with the noise and yeah. everything. Actually, yeah. the I, best I know what you mean. Like sometimes when we're recording vocals, we'll use, uh, a pedal i don't think they actually make it anymore but it's a tc helicon synth pedal for voice and so it kind of does some synth effects and distortions on vocals and we record that alongside the dry and i think even though the pedals it's unpredictable and it's harder to work with but sometimes it just gets a better tone and so we end up using that one rather than trying to like over labor it with our own sort of fine tuning and things like that Yeah, I think it's real important because, like, a lot of people with music, especially with, like, the DAW, has kind of gotten people into doing things. When I've talked to people and I've collaborated with people, is like, sometimes they, they, they clean it too much. You know, the EQ is so clean that I'm like, I, I like it a little more dirty. Yeah. You know, I like it a little more raw. And, I are, and, and some people are like, well, they got to have that clean feel because, like, everything you hear on the radio has got that clean feel. But then I said, we'll go back and listen to the radio in 74 and 78 or 68 and 69, you know, go back and listen to a vinyl record and you'll hear the mistakes, you know, and it actually brings the character to the great songs of those eras is they're full of mistakes. They're full of recording mistakes, tons of like hiss and clips. You can actually hear them cutting the tape and stuff, but it actually brought character to the song. Um and it's kind of like, well, you, how do you kind of capture that? Well, you kind yeah. of let, let it be. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like sometimes, like if it just sounds good, we'll just leave it in. Like if there's just a, a weird little string noise that we got when we're recording the guitar or just a breathiness, like before a vocal take, you know, we don't always just cut it out just because we think that should be done. I think we, we try and leave some, like sometimes like at the end mm -hmm. of the song, you can let the guitar just ring out as if it, um, you know, rather than just cutting off hard the end of the take, because then I, I know it kind of keeps the feel that it was 
a real guitar that was recorded yeah. and it, it stops it from becoming just like uh something that's purely only inside the computer yeah that's why i love my mode uh, spring reverb because sometimes i'll let it ring out at the end of a song to kind of just have this kind of 70s feel where you've got this real spring reverb not a digital one an actual spring and you hit it to get that that kind of bang like when you hit a real spring reverb you actually physically hit it it actually kind of makes this strange kind of glitchy sound and it's it's cool to kind of leave at the end of a song or leave it in a, in a little bit of a break to kind of or have it as a shadow track like under something to give it a little more depth and that's the kind of stuff that um you know just like over time you just yeah i think it's cool like when you can actually hear <laughs> that someone had actually <laughs> you know done something and and left it in rather than just trying to treat everything like oh no it needs to be absolutely perfect i think you can just make it sound you know, just clinical and lose lose the charm of it yeah so um what are you feeling about like uh live performing have you kind of transferred to like the ability to look at streaming uh as a way of performing what you guys do because you guys have such a physical show that's you know visual and kind of needs to be done on a stage have you found any way to replicate that online or are you just well, just before lockdown physical um, venue well, back in at the very end of 2019 we did um kind of like a, the latest version where we included a live drummer and i did the synth and um rich obviously did the vocals and that was i think we we both agreed they were the best shows that we've ever done but um we, pl- we only played two shows under that like new formation with the live drummer and then we went off to Canada to play um, a couple of shows, but we, we couldn't bring the live drummer. So we went back to our old like um, version without the drums and stuff. Um, and it really, it didn't translate. I'd have as much energy um, as with the drummer. So, um, and then, you know, like a month or two later, lockdown hit and obviously there's not been any gigs for about a year now. Um, so yeah, we, we, it's hard to really even think about live gigging right now. But once gigs do reopen, we'll probably just follow the same formula and um, you know, do it how we do. Don't so you think the live drummer? You're like, what are you doing? Yeah, well, yeah for years we didn't have one. It was just me and Rich. And um, every you know, most gigs people would say afterwards like, oh, you should really look at getting a live drummer. And we'd always sort of brush it off and be like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's just some like out of touch person giving us like yeah there are two cents that we didn't care about but eventually we thought you know we're going to try it and um we were just like absolutely in agreement that it it just does um add so much you know what i mean to the mix oh yeah yeah i mean i'm my incarnations of my band you know when i actually had you know a bass player a drummer and a guitar player i always feel that has more kick because that's what i like to go see myself you know so i know if when i'm just doing my my modular rig uh it's it's a different type of show it's kind of like trying to show that you can be like one guy doing all this stuff um but but yeah if i have a real drummer it's going to kick off a lot more because then i don't have to try to do all that with all my foot pedals because i'm trying to like when i'm doing a one-man show i'm trying to run all these sequencers run all this analog gear with all these foot pedals and all these controllers um and I don't really have anything going on Ableton. Yeah. I kind of go off of like LFOs. <laughs> I have all these LFOs kicking stuff off. And so I, I'm kind of going. And the one thing I like about that is it sounds more organic. 
but then I can kind of let the modular analog sense make it sound more real. And so when I go to do it, it doesn't sound as fake yeah. as if it was just like an 808, just keep on kicking. It can actually sound a little different. And I can trigger different LFOs yeah. and kick off the different machines. And so by using all these analog CV controls, I can get a feel. But like, of course, yeah. Yeah, for sure. The only trouble is trying better. to get the drummer to play in time because obviously it's so hard to uh, get them to hear the timing. But unfortunately, using um, like an Ableton and a computer, you can have like a, a send using a focus right. You can. Yeah, exactly. And we, we managed to get like a wireless so um, head, headphone pack he, he, to our drummer, and that was amazing to, uh, you know, so he could hear himself playing. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Using Ableton, you can, to um, each person have their own different mix, how, right. how they like it, you know, which is just, you know, a dream come true, really. So. Yeah, I kind of do that with my Zoom L20. It can run different mixes out. Um, but I do everything kind of like on hardware. But it can send like, I don't know, like six different mixes out. Um, so you can get that kind of feel. But um, yeah, because I'm always like, I don't know. I've gotten so, I'm a, I'm a computer guy. My my day job is like IT. Right, yeah. And maybe that's yeah. why I don't use Ableton. <laughs> Because my day job's IT, so I'm like, you know what? I went and switched everything to this analog modular and using hardware machine tape machines and stuff. But um, I don't know. It's just I got this Alexander Cortini kind of feel. Like I was watching this thing where for Nine Inch Nails, he actually has like Tascam 8 and 16 track tape recorders with all these cassettes. And he like goes and unmutes stuff coming off of these old tape machines wow. I mean, when he does live gigs. Um. Which was kind of a cool way to do it because it has a different sound and feel. Uh, I, I definitely appreciate the aesthetics of doing that. It's just the nightmare of bringing tape machines to a gig. Must I don't know. I, I can't yeah. imagine the hell of trying to. <laughs> yeah, I guess he. I guess he. He loves. Yeah, he loves that. You know, I don't know if you ever seen a lot of stuff from him, but like he he does all this bukla stuff, which is like West Coast really kind of difficult modular synthesis to control and he's, he has all this mo all these modular rigs along with this tape stuff and he's running all that stuff with pedals and he kind of makes it hard on himself on purpose and i guess i yeah, yeah. the same aesthetic <laughs> that that's kind of the whole the whole joy of it for us people who go that way right, or sure. like the difficulty I mean, is the joy it's, just that, it, it's stressful <laughs> I can imagine but, uh, as well. Like yeah. if you're if you're saying up all your your modular synths, you know, and and you've got like a ten minute change over time at a gig, you know, there must come times when you think, I wish uh, I brought my laptop. Well, that's when you that's when you yeah, that's when you click into your digital synths like a Phantom. That's like my big trick is my Phantom's almost like having Ableton, and so I can let that do something while I let the other stuff reset. Um, so I, I still like a hardware guy, so I like the workstation idea. So I'll use like a core Chronos or a Phantom, and it basically can do like a whole set list. Um, and so that gives me the more stability sure. of having like an Ableton thing, but then it's all in the set. And so then I just run it that way, and then I run the other modular stuff I can reset while letting yeah, something else cool. run. I mean, it leaves a little to uh, 
go wrong when you've got something a bit more stable in the mix. I think um, we've had, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. something you can rely on. Something more stable yeah. somewhere. <laughs> Just in case you mess up with the Absolutely, 10 Murphy's yeah. Lies, yeah. something's That's always going to go Especially wrong. Especially the yeah, yeah. somebody unplugs your lights line. that show stuff is the <laughs> worst for you know gremlins in the system and yeah this the more links to the team you've got you guys have, no, to have like no. a backup we have, laptop we've got, we've got a macbook air um, pro which is fairly down. reliable we've seen um a band with a uh you know like a normal pc and um that crashed halfway through the set and uh <laughs> yeah that's yeah, yeah. Yeah, PCs are kind they, of they notorious. Had, um, it's not, they had like um, a live out Apple. as well, like um, like a HDMI Music. out. <laughs> what was on the, the screen of the laptop onto a projector yeah. behind them, it like doubled up the, um, the sort of cringe factor of it crashing because not only could you hear it, you know, the sound of the, the XP as it was like rebooting up. But you, could, uh, you could see like the desktop, you know, the background as well. And I thought, oh man. <laughs> Yeah, this is yeah say what you will about Mac. <laughs> yeah, yeah they kind of... <laughs> yeah exactly and you know Helpless, macbook's please. been you know Helpless overpriced and stuff please. but it, it's when stuff like that goes wrong you you'll pay every penny for that macbook pro because you, you're gonna want it you know yeah yeah well my daughter's yeah my daughter's a graphic artist yeah. and she like you know she got me into the max oh they just they just are yeah absolutely and i know people mind about the price and stuff, but it's, it will. Well, if you're, yeah, it's, it's going to come back to bite you in the ass eventually, and crap out. you know you're going <laughs> to feel, you know, <laughs> it's it's going to come pay one way or another, you know. So I'd rather fork out for a MacBook on a credit card if I had to. And uh... yeah. well, that's why I got my Rollins. To my Rollins, like if I bring them in my road case to New York, you know, my Moogs are more sensitive. Yeah. But my Rollins are like dead reliable. I never have trouble with those, and it's just, it's just you know, I never, I, I've had them for so long. They don't, they don't crash on you. Know, I'm, I, I don't work for them, but I, I don't have any trouble with them going down. Um, other things I, I have do go down to more sensitive. So I kind of yeah. stick with the one thing that I know is not going to go down. Is <laughs> the main thing for the gig, but um. Yeah, you go with what you got to, you know, as a musician, working musician, you got to use what's going to work. Um, so, you guys, uh, I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show. We we got this worked out that, you know, they, <laughs> this app was yeah, giving yeah. me a little bit of trouble well, a couple of days ago, but it seems to have stabilized. So, I'm, I'm glad. So, so this is going to go out on our Spotify and our Apple okay, podcast cool. and um, nine other platforms. And we'll send you the link um to through the the method we've been oh, wow. communicating it'll be available within an hour and uh we'll just send it to you yeah, and cool, uh, yeah. we'll push it on our our instagram yeah the story you feel feel free to like uh you know copy the story we would link we're going to push up and uh yeah we're glad to have you on the show if you guys want to come on the show again you got your new projects ready to go give us a ring and we'll um set it up if you ever want to do the video podcast option and you're ready to do it let us know we're kind of going into that because it seems to kick it with the audience yeah yeah, everybody's visuals yeah that's that's right yeah thanks for asking us to be on and uh enjoy it yeah okay you guys great phone call everybody check it out
go out to the link that's going to be on the podcast. Remember to support the band you love, get all their merch, all their stuff that they're doing. And, uh, you know, buy their record on Amazon, buy it on iTunes if you can. Uh, we always tell people to support the bands you love. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show, guys. I'll talk to you later.